Welcome to the Crispin Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Crispin. Topics on today's episode include Lending's Winter Solstice, my interview with HomeTap's Dan Burnett on record home equity levels and how Americans can best leverage them, and more of the latest housing data. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Lender Toolkit. Make 2024 your most profitable year yet with Lender Toolkit's AI-powered AI underwriter and PRISM borrower income automation tools. You'll be able to get loans approved in under two minutes, and by providing lightning-fast underwriting decisioning, your market reputation with borrowers and realtors will soar, which means more repeat and referral business. Lender Toolkit's platform solutions have fundamentally transformed how business is done, skyrocketing profitability, and increasing employee happiness. What do you call a Christmas wreath made out of $100 bills? Aretha Franklin's. <laughs> it's cutting-edge humor like this that keeps listeners coming back for more. Right? Or astronomy tips, as today is the winter solstice, with the least amount of sunlight in the northern hemisphere. Lenders and vendors are hoping that the decline in rates keeps the winter away from lending and holds more salary cuts, layoffs, and furloughs at bay. Mortgage banking is not alone in expanding automation and trying to save money. Do you think that you deserve a lower price for checking out of a store yourself and not using a paid clerk? Many do. The number of people who work as cashiers dropped from 1.4 million in 2019 to 1.2 million today, And over the next decade, the BLS projects an additional 10% decline. Anyways, bonds enjoyed another winning session yesterday on the back of some market-friendly inflation data for November out of the United Kingdom, geopolitical angst tied to a potential military response to Houthi rebels disrupting shipping activity in the Red Sea, slowdown worries linked to disappointing forward revenue guidance from economic bellwether FedEx, and some safe haven positioning before the extended Christmas weekend. The market largely overlooks some stronger-than-expected existing home sales activity in November, a nice pickup in consumer confidence in December, and a weak 20-year bond reopening auction. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome to the show Home Tap Stan Burnett to talk about record home equity levels and how Americans can best leverage them. He's head of product strategy at Home Tap, a Boston-based fintech company that began in 2017 to make home ownership more accessible and less stressful. HomeTap helps people get more out of home ownership so they can get more out of life. That's their words, not mine. <laughs> I don't know where I saw the report. It might have been Black Knight that came out with it. It might have been MBA. But essentially, home equity is back to pre-pandemic highs. And I, I want to ask you, because I saw some comments of yours in the media along those lines, what is causing American home equity to stay so buoyant? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, after the great financial crisis, um, this mindset seems to have emerged that housing is this volatile asset that's kind of poised on the precipice of disaster at any point in time. And what we found, you know, looking back across Case Shiller is in reality, the opposite is true. So residential real estate's remarkably resilient. 
outside of the great financial crisis, there really have only been two periods where year-over-year home price depreciation happened. Um, and it takes exceedingly poor market conditions to trigger any sort of decline. So instead of a collapse, what we've seen over the past year and a half is more of a freeze. Um, homeowners are in a strong financial position relative to where they were during the Great Recession. And therefore, they're more capable of protecting their equity and avoiding the kind of credit default events or short sales that that really triggered a lot of the losses back in the great financial crisis. And so when you have this combination of strong credit homeowners who are able to be value protective during you know periods of potential market volatility, uh, you end up having a much more buoyant home equity situation than than you'd otherwise expect. So I think the headlines kind of got in the way of of the reality of it, which is this is a, a strong resilient asset class, and I think that's really proven out over the last couple of years. It certainly is a strong asset class going forward. Do you expect to see similar strength in? Home values, do you, do you see aggregate home equity values remaining near these highs or continuing to tick upward? Yeah, I do. I think uh, the current market conditions don't seem to suggest there's any reason for equity to decline. Uh, and in all likelihood, it should probably continue to grow, albeit not at the rate we saw you know, in the last four or five years. There was already a pretty significant imbalance between supply and demand heading into the pandemic due to demographics, right? So you had the millennial generation aging into prime home buying years and not enough supply to go around. Then you throw in the recent rate hikes, which only serve to further reduce supply as homeowners sort of opted to keep their current mortgages. And it becomes less clear when that supply demand imbalance will shift. You know, existing homeowners are more sensitive to absolute rate changes, given that they're comparing everything to their existing mortgage, whereas new homeowners are incentivized by relative changes. So the idea is this will keep the demand side going even after any sort of dramatic change in rates. And as existing homeowners do become more willing to sell and move off their existing low rate mortgages um, and see themselves become home buyers as well after they've sold their house, that will just only push uh, the demand side even more. So the idea here is there's probably not a massive um, you know, force that's going to totally tip the scales in the side of supply. Uh, and therefore, you should see demand stay strong, which should mean at least you know relative growth. Um, if not significant growth over the next five, 10 years going forward. Yeah, certainly there's a component of home values and the buoyancy there being driven by people not wanting to sell. So, you know, when when people are locked into these low interest rates, they don't necessarily want to sell home equity as high. It kind of leads naturally to, hey, there's got to be ways that this home equity can be tapped into without necessarily selling the house. And a lot of people are reluctant to tap into home equity. Uh, their you know, second lien is kind of a scary sounding thing. Uh, but can you explain some of the advantages of tapping into home equity? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you I mean going back to that first point, right? Ever since the great, great financial crisis, there's certainly a lot of boogeymen who have been sort of uh, started to infiltrate the space. And second lien is just another one of those buzzwords. But um, I think the reality of it is for almost every American who owns a home, their house is their most significant asset. Most homeowners are going to contribute a majority of their savings to fund their down payment. Uh, and as we discussed earlier, home price appreciation has been remarkably consistent over the last 50 plus years. So as a result, you find this phenomenon that we at HomeTap refer to as being house rich, cash poor. While your property is a finan fin fantastic financial asset, 
the lack of liquidity prevents it from being a helpful financial instrument. So home equity access products like home equity investments that we provide at HomeTap provide an avenue for homeowners to access the cash necessary to fund the needs of everyday life. That might include a renovation project and education costs or working capital for a small business. It might also be debt consolidation to help ease the monthly burden at a time of high rates. So no matter what you decide to use it for, there is a real tangible power in just being able to access all of the equity tied up in the property. It turns your home into a value creation engine as opposed to an illiquid asset, um, and it makes it applicable across every corner of your life. And I really do think that that's something that folks are going to be focusing more and more on as selling you know, might not be the most attractive thing um, given the rate environment. And this allows for a, a different opportunity to use your cash in a, in a way that you know allows you to fund your everyday needs. Well, you kind of started down the path with some of uh, HomeTap's offerings, but when it comes to tapping into home equity, can you walk listeners here through kind of the various products that exist out there that can tap into your home to create liquidity? Yeah, of course. So I think of it as historically the three ways that someone could access equity were cash out refinances, home equity loans, and home equity lines of credit. And each of those sort of represent a slight variation on your traditional first lien mortgage, uh, ranging anywhere from really more of the same. When you think about cash out refinances, you're just taking on additional capital above and beyond what your existing mortgage was on was in order to, to, to pull out that capital. Um, to getting something that allows for slight more flexible flexibility and variation vis-a-vis -vis home equity lines of credit. In every case, though, for these three options, the key issue was that you're taking on a monthly debt burden in exchange for access to your capital now. Um, and so for a smaller portion of the population, you started to see other alternatives that weren't contract pay start to emerge. Best example there is a reverse mortgage. So this is a step from further traditional debt insofar as there's no current pay component but you're still accruing interest over time, no matter the equity available in your home. Um, and so because of the deferred payments that you're making, um, it allows you to avoid shrinking your available income, but then the concern becomes negative equity. So it's a situation where you collect so much deferred interest over time that you owe more than what's actually available in your property itself. So home equity investments, obviously near and dear to my heart here at HomeTap, it's tried to sort of solve for both, right? How do you remove the burden of monthly payments and also provide a sort of fixed, clear uh, ownership stake in a home where the homeowner doesn't have to worry about, you know, the scourge of negative equity. Um, and so home equity investments approach this differently uh, in terms of how we try and create liquidity. Rather than making consumers trade on current cash flow for access to capital, home equity investments see homeowners take on a partner in the long-term appreciation of their property. We invest in the property itself, providing capital in exchange for a fixed percentage stake in the home, which means no monthly payments, and then protecting the homeowner from the growing stress of that deferred interest eating away at their equity value over time. So really, again, three flavors. You have sort of flavors of traditional debt, cash out refinances, home equity loans, home equity lines of credit. You have sort of um, these non-contract paid deferral products in reverse mortgages, and then you have home equity investments, which are kind of a, a, a you know new way of looking at the world. Again, trying to avoid that monthly cash flow concern while still providing that liquidity to the homeowners. Do you have much insight into the data for demand across metros or regions of the U.S., or is tapping into home equity more? prevalent in certain places? 
Yeah, so I can only really speak to that for home equity investments specifically, um, but we tend to see relatively uniform demand for our home equity investments geographically across our footprint. Um, I think as you'd expect, the amount of tappable equity in any given area is going to be your uh, best indicator of conversion for a product like ours, and I'm sure for other equity access products that are they're similar. Um, what, what I would say is when you work at a growing company like ours, it's always interesting to find out how the market kind of evolves around your offering as new and new customers interact with it um, and kind of tailor it to their given needs. And what I will say is, you know, an emerging asset class like home equity investments, what's been remarkable to see is just how broad of a profile that's turned out to be. So again, I, I think I walked through a few of what the use cases we've seen folks turn to, but, you know, we see people using this in lieu of a mortgage altogether. So first lien use cases, we see folks using this as an opportunity to diversify assets, fund future property portfolio growth, um, so again, it's kind of a non-answer to, to what you asked in terms of geography, because it is very uniform, but I think what we'd say is broadly, there's been, um, you know, a lot of folks who are turning to home equity access products broadly and home equity investments generally to kind of fund this gap that exists in this high interest rate environment. Well, I don't want to put the cart too much before the horse here, because before people can tap into home equity that they built, they need to actually have a home and a big issue right now. In America is a lack of affordability, especially for first-time home buyers. And so let's let's back up slightly here. And I want to ask you how barriers to first-time home ownership and kind of challenges to the ever-increasing cost of living, it seems like are you know, everything's just getting more expensive. How can these be reduced? Yeah, it's a difficult question to answer. Uh, it's one we've spent a lot of time at HomeTap thinking about. I mean, I think everyone's trying to find some way to to address this. Um, the reality is there's a real affordability crisis in housing across the market. Um, and the rate-induced freeze that we're seeing now is only exacerbating it further, right? This existed before the rate hikes, and it's only sort of starting to get worse. I think at the end of the, the, end of the day, there's going to be some uh, need of a combination of targeted government intervention along with private market innovation in order to work our way out of this. So to that first point, um, the government, government at both the state and the federal level needs to make it easier for first-time home buyers to enter the market. This can be either helped at the macro level with rate cuts in the near future. Obviously, we've seen hikes, um, but seeing you know some reduction over time is just going to you know naturally help people be able to make those monthly payments. Um, it also needs to be helped at the state level through affordability programs. So I know places like my home state here in Massachusetts have the Mass Housing Down Payment Assistance Program. In California, they have the uh, Dream for All Program, which actually looks a lot like a home equity investment in the way that they're sharing appreciation with the homeowner. And they're both good examples of where the public sector is starting to lean in. So I think there needs to be some sort of public sector support. And then on the private side, we've already started to see a bevy of new business models emerge over the last call it half decade, ranging anywhere from rent to own to shared appreciation. I know HomeTap has, has looked into potentially entering this market, and I'm sure you know plenty of folks have. I think the key is finding a way to align capital with the goal of home ownership. So historically, the focus for institutional investors has been to reap the benefits of ownership themselves and in exchange provide consumers with the benefits of shelter at low rent, right? Which is a, a you know, thoughtful way of approaching this. It certainly solves a problem. Good example here is single family rentals as sort of the the stand-up case for that, right? It's owned by the institution, but you're driving down rent costs for individuals. 
Um, as we know, though, home ownership is one of the tried and true avenues to wealth creation. And so public pressure over time, is, as well as the creation of ESG programs at large institutions, are starting to refocus the capital markets on solving home ownership rather than just the shelter question. And so I think along with the government intervention, it's also finding market ways where we can reward the refocus of institutional capital uh, so that they create incentives for all parties to reduce the cost of capital for new home ownership, um, right? You compare those two things together and think of some sort of you know GSC initiative that's funding private avenues to to allow for home ownership and reducing that cost of capital. I think that's going to go a long way. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here before I let you go. Do you know of any new tech products, kind of in the down payment assistance realm, uh, that you can talk about that you feel like are increasing options for aspiring homeowners? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I sort of touched on this in the last one a little bit, but um, I'd say there's sort of two emerging down payment assistant options um, that are starting to kind of pop up recently. Uh, one of them is actually not that new, but it's starting to kind of rear its head again, which is a share appreciation model. And there's also the rent to own model. So for the latter rent to own, it's relatively self-explanatory. You're seeing aspiring homeowners choose a property along with a sponsor company purchase that home with a small down payment contribution, and then pay rent plus a premium to acquire equity over time. Um, they also have the option to purchase the home outright within certain conditions. So it kind of de-risks the down payment process, removes some of the sort of upfront costs there, um, but it is expensive on an ongoing basis given that you're paying rent plus that premium. The other way to tackle it is the shared appreciation market, uh, which isn't, again, dissimilar from home equity investments um, writ large. Here, the consumer is using a second lien investment to defray some of the down payment. So think of it as you want that 80% senior mortgage, but instead of putting 20% down, you put 10% down, and then you have a shared appreciation um, provider come in with the other 10%. And in exchange, they're getting some percentage of appreciation at a, a multiple of that 10% uh, in order to, to make up for those costs. So the benefit to the homeowner is they maintain you know, an 80% LTV, they avoid PMI. So it really does make a difference when you compare that to what a 90% mortgage might look like. And they're getting most of the benefit of appreciation um, rather than having to sort of absorb larger monthly payments. And I think what's actually interesting about the latter on the shared appreciation side is that seems like a novel concept, but actually it had been around I think it's two, three decades ago, back in the UK, there was a shared appreciation mortgage program, much larger mortgages. And I think the issue that, that arose there was the lack of creation of a sort of viable, robust secondary market. So sort of going to my, my last answer there uh, to your previous question as well, I do think this is somewhere where you can get government intervention or you can start to build a bigger secondary capital market for some of this. That can really help drive down the cost of capital for these solutions. And I think there's a lot of benefit in creating more homeowners. I'm with you there. Uh, I I think that's a very thoughtful response. And I'm optimistic about where we're headed and what the future looks like when it comes to more affordable housing and and getting more people uh, starting to build equity and and build wealth. So Dan, I really appreciate this. Uh, I do a lot of interviews. Some I enjoy more than others. I I very much enjoyed this one. So thank you for making the time for me. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Great Great to connect. In housing and real estate news, existing home sales rose 0.8% month over month in November to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of $3.82 million, ending a five-month decline. Despite the rise, sales still sit 7.3% lower than a year ago, largely due to mortgage rates spiking in September and October. Sales of existing homes continue to be hindered by high mortgage rates 
high selling prices, and limited inventory. Inventory remains light, with only 3.5 months worth at the current pace. Fortunately, the recent drop in mortgage rates is expected to be a driver of stronger sales activity in December. The median home price rose 4% year-over-year to $387,600, while the first-time homebuyer share rose to 31% from 28% from the month prior. As previously mentioned, this week contains a lot of housing data, and after learning Tuesday of a substantial pickup in residential activity recently, it would appear that home builders are becoming more optimistic as mortgage rates trend lower and economic growth remains resilient. Speaking of optimism, we also learned yesterday that the Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Index increased in December as there was renewed optimism across all ages and household income levels, with attention being paid to improved inflation trends, business conditions, and job availability. Consumer confidence is highly influenced by gasoline prices, which have been falling. There will be little data of importance on the economic front until we get into the new year, though we do have a busy economic calendar today that is underway with a third look at Q3 GDP, in at 4.9%, revised slightly downward, and we've also received weekly jobs claims, in at 205,000, up from 202,000 last week, and Philadelphia Fed Manufacturing, which came in at negative 10.5, whatever that means, but it was much lower than expected. Later today brings leading indicators for November, Casey Fed manufacturing for December, Treasury announcing next week's laundry list of supply, including two five- and seven-year notes, before auctioning $20 billion of reopened five-year tips, and Freddie Mac's primary mortgage market survey, with the prior week's 30-year mortgage rate slipping eight basis points to 6.95%. We begin the day with agency MBS prices unchanged from Wednesday night, the 10-year yielding 3.87, after closing yesterday at 3.88%, and the two-year at 4.36%. With yesterday's gains, the 10-year note yield returned to unchanged for 2023 after hitting 5.02% intraday in the middle of October. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. My niece tried coffee for the first time today. Yeah, it tastes like dirt, she said. I told her it was just ground this morning. <laughs> Thanks again to today's podcast sponsor, Lender Toolkit, and its AI-powered AI underwriter and Prism borrower income automation tools. Get loans approved in under two minutes. By providing lightning-fast underwriting decisions, your market reputation with borrowers and realtors will soar. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.